Welcome to Criminal Sentencing Law, a series of podcasts which examine sentencing process and law in New South Wales in relation to New South Wales criminal offences. In today's podcast, we will look at the difference between objective and subjective features in sentencing and how these are taken into account in the sentencing process. Both subjective and objective features are important, but they play different roles. Objective features are concerned with the factors surrounding the case. Objective features of an assault might include the relative size of the accused and the victim, any provocation, whether the assault was committed in self-defence, the mode of assault or the method of attack, the level of force, the weapon used, any premeditation and planning, and so on. Each crime has its own objective gravity. The principle of proportionality requires that a sentence should neither exceed nor be less than the gravity of the crime, having regard to the objective circumstances, as stated in the High Court case of V No. 2. Similarly, in the case of the Queen against McNaughton, the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal stated, The principle of proportionality requires the upper boundary of a proportionate sentence to be set by the objective circumstances of the offence, which circumstances do not encompass prior convictions. When making submissions on sentence, a lawyer should assess the objective seriousness properly and provide reasons justifying where the offence sits within the range of similar offences. So now that we've covered objective features of a crime, let's look at subjective features. Subjective features relate to facts concerning the offender. For example, it may be that the accused is a single parent of six children, has been diagnosed with a mental illness, such as schizophrenia, has demonstrated remorse, has no prior convictions, has a drug addiction or alcohol dependency, or has a deprived background. Subjective factors should not be considered in relation to the objective gravity of an offence, but they do provide a picture and an explanation as to why the offence was committed. In the Queen Against MD, the New South Wales Court of Criminal Appeal stated, In many cases where an offender is convicted of manslaughter, there will be exculpatory matters and personal circumstances that can lead the court to significantly ameliorate the sentence which might otherwise have been imposed. However, as this court pointed out in the Queen Against Troyer, it is important for the court to ensure that the subjective circumstances of an individual offender do not divert the court from imposing a sentence which adequately reflects the part which the law must play in upholding the protection of human life and in punishing those who take it. In other words, the subjective circumstances of a case should not divert the court away from a proper consideration of the objective circumstances. The next thing we will focus on is the relevance of Section 21A of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act which contains a list of aggravating and mitigating factors which can be taken into account. This is a non-exhaustive list and is in addition to and to be not inconsistent with the common law. When submitting in relation to an aggravating or a mitigating factor, the advocate should explain the nature or seriousness of the factor as it exists in a particular case and the weight to be given to it. Aggravating factors include, but are not limited to, that the offence was part of a planned or organised criminal activity. For example, offences which are unplanned, impulsive, opportunistic and committed spontaneously are generally regarded as less serious by the law than those that are planned. Secondly, the offence was committed in company. Third, the offence involved gratuitous cruelty. Fourth, the offence involved the actual or threatened use of violence or 
the offence involved the actual or threatened use of a weapon, or the offender abused a position of trust or authority in relation to the victim. Other aggravating factors include factors relating to the victim, for example, where the victim was a police officer, an emergency services worker, a correctional officer, a judicial officer, a council law enforcement officer, a health worker, a teacher, a community worker, or other public official exercising public or community functions, and the offence arose because of the victim's occupation or voluntary work. As you can see, there must be a connection there between the victim's work and their position as a police officer, a health worker, a teacher, and so on. Another aggravating factor includes the victim was vulnerable, for example, because the victim was very young or very old or had a disability, or because of the geographical isolation of the victim, or potentially because of the victim's occupation, such as being a person working at a hospital, a health worker, a taxi driver, a bus driver or other public transport worker, a bank teller, or a service station attendant. Other aggravating factors include that the offence involved multiple victims, the offence was committed in the home of the victim, or the injury, emotional harm, loss or damage caused by the offence was substantial. An important rule to keep in mind is section 21a subsection 2, that is the court is not to have additional regard to any such aggravating factor in sentencing if it is an element of the offence. This means that care needs to be taken to avoid double counting with regard to certain features of crimes, where these features are elements of the offence which the accused has been convicted of, such as the feature of substantial emotional harm, the fact that the offence was committed in company, or the fact that an offence was committed with a weapon. This is because these features are already taken into account in the maximum penalty allocated to the offence. Mitigating factors are listed in section 21a subsection 3 and exist at common law. Some of these are the opposite to an objective factor. For example, the mitigating factor that the injury, emotional harm, loss or damage caused by the offence was not substantial or the offence was not part of a planned or organised criminal activity. Mitigating factors also include such things as remorse, but only if the offender has provided evidence that he or she has accepted responsibility for his or her actions. This might be, for example, a letter to the victim or evidence given by the offender in court, or it could be actions of the offender following the offence which demonstrate remorse. Also, the offender must have acknowledged any injury, loss or damage caused by his or her actions, or made reparation for such injury, loss or damage, or both. Mitigating factors also include a plea of guilty by the offender, the degree of pretrial disclosure by the defence, and any assistance by the offender to law enforcement. Where there is a plea of guilty for a matter that has been tried summarily in the local court, in other words it's not tried in the district court or the supreme court as an indictable or strictly indictable offence, the new rules for early appropriate guilty pleas, which commence this year, do not apply. Thus, for such charges, practitioners should continue to have regard to section 22 of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act, as well as the guideline judgment in the Queen against Thompson. The decision in Thompson deals with the utilitarian value of the plea only. It does not deal with the strength of the prosecution's case or the plea as an expression of remorse. Also, this guideline judgment does not apply to Commonwealth offences. With respect to pretrial disclosure by the defence, practitioners must have regard to Section 22A. 
And finally, for any assistance by the offender to law enforcement authorities, practitioners should read through Section 23 of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act. While the good character of an accused is generally a mitigating factor, special rules exist for child sexual offences. Section 21A subsection 5A states that in determining the appropriate sentence for a child sexual offence, the good character or lack of previous convictions of an offender is not to be taken into account as a mitigating factor if the court is satisfied that the factor concerned was of assistance to the offender in the commission of the offence. Practitioners should read through Section 21A of the Crime Sentencing Procedure Act for a full list of the statutory aggravating and mitigating factors. So that draws to a conclusion this podcast in relation to aggravating and mitigating factors. Please subscribe to the Criminal Sentencing Law podcast series so that you are up to date with the latest podcasts.